Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, for episode 38. Our skill topic today is screen printing. It's um, a little uh, off for us normally. We don't we don't discriminate against screens, but we're we're allowing some screens into the, the conversation for today. What what uh, skill class is screen printing? Uh, screen printing is a class five skill, smack dab in the middle. Uh, it takes some good uh, hand to eye coordination. Uh, before we get into our research on screen printing, I do have to give a disclaimer. Uh, Tom is not feeling very well today. Um, he's he's a little sick. He he didn't have his virus protection software running when we were recording last week, and he caught the plaid plague from Tanda. Um, I had my virus software running, so I'm perfectly fine. But uh, if, if Tom sounds a little funny, we're just giving you a heads up. Um, and also, um, if you're listening to this on some sort of electronic device, you should be running um, virus protection software. <laughs> Put your earbuds in a condom or something. Well, if I sound funny, that'll be a welcome change, won't it? I think you're funny all the time, Tom. But um, but oh, since since since, since we're you know we're talking about your humor, um, what kind of research did you do on screen printing? What kind? I mean, I always do a Google search. What did you find? Oh, what I find? Oh, what do I find? Okay. Uh, so i I had this I had this idea of what what came before screen printing, and what was the attitude towards screen printers at that time. Was it like the attitude that we have towards like CNC people? Well, not we, but you know, people have, and they're like, oh, that's not real woodworking. So I looked it up and it's prehistoric stenciling. So since it's prehistoric, I, I don't think I can talk about it in this segment. Is there a prehistory segment that we have? I mean, hold on. Uh, sidebar, Tanda? Yeah. Should, should we allow him to talk about prehistory? Well, I think if Tom actually did some research, we should widen the topic to allow prehistory so Tom can talk about uh, prehistory segments. Uh, okay, yeah. I, I, yeah. The worst case would be that you disallow it and Tom gets off, uh, gets off cheap. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we can't allow that. He's got to do something. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You want to catch him if it's just an out. Good. Okay, okay. Uh, he's, he's come. Yeah, okay. Let, let, let's, let's go back. Yeah, so I didn't know this, but prehistoric stenciling. Tom, you were not in the sidebar with yeah. us. We okay. We're back from the sidebar. Tom, uh, Tanda, and I talked we were in a about sidebar? it. Yeah, we were in a sidebar, and uh, we're going to allow it. I just laid out everything I know about prehistoric stenciling. I didn't know you were in a sidebar. Well, you're going to have to do it again because we didn't hear anything. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a little under the weather. I don't really want to repeat myself. I mean, drink some water, put on your big boy pants, and just read it again. All right, Tom. all right, all right, all right. <clears throat> uh, prehistoric stenciling. I didn't know this, but. Back, you know, pre prehistoric times, the cavemen. I don't know. That's probably insensitive these days. But um, when they were doing their images on cave walls, I had no idea that they used stencils ever. Have you ever heard of that? What exactly were cavemen using to stencil with? Like, did they have tree bark or something? I don't know. I, I don't think they were making paper. I mean, yeah, you cut a hole in a in a leaf or or something. You could, yeah, a leaf. That's a great idea. I'd use a leaf. I mean, how big were these leaves? They were prehistoric leaves. Well, in prehistoric times, they were, yeah. Everything grew bigger back then. I actually just learned about this. Because the oxygen level was so much higher back then, bugs were massive. Yeah. Because they could get more oxygen. Isn't that cool? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So maybe they that use beetle true. beetle wing stencils. Beetle wing stencils, duh. Oh yeah, yeah. The old beetle wing trick. Or or leather. Maybe they had leather. I don't know if they figured that out yet. Leather stencil. It's pretty uh it's pretty intense. It's expensive. Yeah, yeah. It costs at least five or six rocks, I think. Well the nice thing about a leather stencil is you can carve it in the hide right after the kill. Mm. And then it shrinks like a shrinky dink. And so then you get re- really detailed antelope for your your cave stenciling, even though you cut it yeah, out like 10 inches. Pro caveman tip right there. Yeah, pro tip. I, I feel like I'm left out of this. Uh, I, I didn't do any research on that, but it sounds like I need to. to definitely. So, so, was, uh, so what else did you find, Tom? Was that was that it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I just kind of sat there and thought about a, room, a, a cave full of cavemen bad-mouthing silk screeners. Right. And like, just, no, I got you distracted. Have, antelopes don't look alike. You can't screen print them. You have to draw each one individually. This is ridiculous. Right. This is ridiculous. You can't make a herd of antelopes yeah. all with the same stencil. They're over there. They got to go kill a buffalo to make a stencil. And these guys are just collecting worms. It's just not fair. Now that makes me wonder if like there was a caveman that was going, look, you can't make a buffalo stencil out of a deer. Okay. You need to get a deer and make the deer skin, make the deer stencil. I mean, that's that just goes completely against our belief system here. You understand, Chug Chug? We, we need to get a deer stencil made from a deer. Right, oh. exactly. Yeah, and the first first caveman that actually uh, sneaked that past them and made a deer stencil out of a buffalo, that's that's where we get the term being buffaloed. Yeah. Yeah, he, he pulled uh, one nobody's, over. Nobody's pointed out what medium they're using. Medium? Media? They're using... Like, they don't have spray paint, so what are they... Are they just, like, coloring in? Oh, they probably blew, blew, probably blew blood through a reed. Oh, okay. Well, that makes as sense. A, as an airbrush or something, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they could just blow it, and it would spray. Yeah, through the stencil. Yeah, basically, they're just, they're just spitting. Or they, could yeah. u- or they could use a brush. Yeah, they could, sti- they could stiple. They could stiple with, uh, you know, with maybe a, the tail of a rabbit. All right, I just want to point out, this is the longest we've ever talked about my research, and I'm pretty sure it's because neither of you did any research. It's the longest we've talked about it, Tom, because you never do any research. Did I say stiple? You did say stiple. Uh, instead, to, instead, to of, be, instead of stipple. Yeah. Stipple. I, yeah. I just want to clear that up, but you can cut out my correction, and then people will get a good laugh. Uh, we're, we're just going to leave everything in, because it's funny yeah, that way. Yeah. But uh, I wasn't going to correct it just because I thought it was hilarious. But I'm not going to edit it out. Tom's Tom needs to start editing. Uh, Tanda, what kind of research did you do on screen printing? Well, long after prehistoric times and after they started using the word stippling when the long eye got dropped, in World War II, there were allocations of rubber. And so it was difficult to get rubber for tires. And so as an alternative, they came up with a way of taking PVC and suspending bits of PVC in an emulsion. And I had never heard about this process before, um, but this emulsion with PVC suspended in it, you can pour it into a mold and then heat that mold and cause it to cure. And you can even do, have either of you ever done like ceramics where you did slush casting, where you like pour in the, the, no. uh, the ceramic slip and then it cures a little bit on the outside and then you pour it back out. I mean, I'm sure you've seen lots of ceramic figurines and stuff where they have like a hole in the bottom and they're hollow. Sure. And the way you do that is you pour in the slip 
um, which is just kind of a thin clay, and it starts to cure on the outside. It soaks out into the plaster of Paris or whatever, and then before the middle cures, you pour it back out. Well, you can do this same thing with this suspension of PVC in an emulsion. And so you can pour it into a mold and then heat that mold and the outside cures. And then you can pour the middle back out. And in the 60s and 70s, that's how they made Barbie dolls and like chatty Cathy's. Huh. But that's that same thing, that PVC emulsion is plastisol. So it's the same thing that's commonly used now as screen printing ink, where you can leave it in your screen, it doesn't cure, you screen it onto your t-shirt, and then you run it through a dryer, or you heat it to cure it. But I had never realized that that same plastisol, you could pour into a mold, and then heat that mold, and turn it into a solid, you know, like a much thicker than you would picture a screen print t-shirt, and make plastic objects as kind of a cheap injection molding source but it's it's all plastisol whether it's screen printing ink or you're actually making a, a barbie doll with it that's that's really cool I, I have to say though plastisol sounds like sounds like a johnson ex, johnson's hardware exclusive well it could be and plasti dip is also a plastisol yeah. sidebar tom yeah uh, um, yeah i'm here so I, I I was about five seconds away from asking her what the hell had to do with screen printing. I, I really thought that she was she totally researched something that had nothing to do with what we were talking about. And then right at the end, she kind of reeled it in. And I was like, Barbie dolls are made out of T-shirt ink. I mean, that, that OK, I didn't see that coming. That, that was not uh, <laughs> was not on my. But were you in the loop on this or what? No, no, I'm actually I don't even know what you're talking about right now. That that tracks. OK, let's get back to Tanda. Yeah. So I thought, so I thought that was a fun one because I thought it would be fun to just watch PJ's face as I was saying it and wait until he was just about to interrupt me and say that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic and then spring the topic on. And that's why I didn't call it plastisol from the beginning. Um Well, I totally wasn't fooled, Tanda, so the joke's on you. Oh, man, I was hoping to get you. Yeah. But uh, what'd you find, PJ? Well, of course I went to my old my old staple, my oh, old stipple. screen printing superstitions. Screen printing superstitions, and let me tell you something: there, there aren't any, but there happens to be about <laughs> thirty. There's about thirty screen printing shops outside of Superstition Mountain, in uh, I think it's in Colorado or somewhere's out west. I don't know. That's all I kept finding was screen printing shops in Superstition Mountains. I'm like, ah, this is not what I want. So then I went back to my other staple which is when was screen printing invented and uh thankfully i didn't look into the prehistory tom tom took care of that but i was a little surprised to find out that it was screen printing was first introduced in china in 960 a long time ago i i didn't realize that it was really that old i, I was thinking like you know eh, maybe like 100 years 200 years nah over a thousand years old. This was in conjunction with uh, block printing and hand applied paints. And it wasn't introduced into Western Europe uh, from Asia until the 18th century. And it wasn't even like when they brought it in, wasn't widely accepted. They were like, eh, we don't like this. It's not like what we're used to. And it wasn't until uh, silk became widely available uh, through the trade in in Europe that screen printing started to kind of take off. 
after that, uh, we move into like the 20th century where it started to like move into fine art prints. And uh, a lot of artists used to use it as a way of doing reproducible artwork, which is uh, very similar to how they used to do bronze castings. They would do multiple bronze castings so that they could have the same artwork uh, re replicated. You know, that was like the original replication. But uh, in case you're not sure, you can screen print on posters, T-shirts, hats, CDs, DVDs, ceramics, glass, polyethylene, polypropylene, paper, metals, and wood. So basically, the only thing you can't screen print on is like dirt. And that, hamsters. And hamsters. Probably nothing I, I alive. you could do it on dirt. Yeah. Yeah, and probably hamsters, to be I, honest. I, you just got to pack the dirt. If you pack the dirt. You definitely do it. I mean, I'm thinking about polishing a turd, you know, that, that old saying. But um, but anyway. Like Bobby Duke did in that video. It, something I find fascinating about kind of something you said there was there's, there's so often somebody invents some process like screen printing and they were using like human hair for the screens or they were using, you know, some natural fiber like, you know, reeds or something. And it gets a bad name. And then years later, there's some new material, like in this case, silk, that's mass produced and readily available. And, th and there's always this kind of like reinvention where it's like, oh, you know, we had totally discounted that, but now it's practical because of this new thing, whether that's 3D printing or, or whatever. And I find that fascinating how things were, you know, patented many years before, and it was just laughed at as being something silly. But then some new technology makes it totally viable. Well, speaking of silly things, uh, did you know that the other name for screen printing is serigraphy? I did not know that. I mean, you hear, you still often hear people call it, uh, you know, silk screen printing. Yeah. Even though silk is no longer used. Well, serigraphy comes from the Latin word silk, which is siri, and the Greek word for write or draw, which is graphene. It's a little, little fun fact for you. Tanda sidebar? Yeah. So I, I Googled uh, history of screen printing while he started talking, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure I found the exact article he read. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to gonna text it to you. It's like, it's not word for word, but I think I found the exact, the exact research he did. <laughs> oh, Tom's having a coughing fit. Yeah, I bet. I, here, Tom, hit the, hit the sidebar button. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> There's, all right, so did you guys know that all of the bottles, like beer bottles and stuff that have stuff printed on them, is printed using ceramic paint? So that when they're recycled, it doesn't become a, an impurity? Or what's, what's the reasoning? Uh, because it is fired, and then when it's fired in a furnace, uh, that like like it like melts it into the glass yeah and it, it won't wear away because it's ceramic like paint would eventually wear away but ceramics are so durable like it's huh. you can't you can't get it off of there oh that gives me some crazy good ideas because my my material that i use for laser laser engraving is basically the same process you spray it on the glass i don't know mm -hmm. if you guys saw the porcelain plates i did recently you spray it on the glass and then basically the laser fires it on a tiny, you know, like 4,000th inch spot size to the glass. But I could screen print that on and then just bake the entire thing and forego the laser. You could, you could just screen print that onto something you were going to put in a kiln 
and do really and do really. Well, you gotta you gotta get the right stuff though, Tanda. You can't just put any willy nilly ceramics on there. You know, you gotta get. Well, no, I'm paint. saying you could you could take a ceramic, a, a bottle or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you could spray the same material I use in my laser. You could spray it through a stencil on a bottle or onto any other ceramic object, and then fire it again. And I think create a screen printed graphic that was fired into the glass. Huh. Mm-hmm. So that was that's a it would be an interesting experiment to carry out. I agree. Do it. Moving right along. So uh, one of the biggest advancements in screen printing was the rotary screen printing system, which was invented uh, in the 1960s by Michael Vesselantone uh, with the rotary press. And uh, the modern version of this is a completely automated machine that prints uh, and it will print up to 1800 shirts in one hour wow Uh, the world record is 1805 shirts from 2005 uh, at a uh, a t-shirt factory in new york they set the record as far as screen printing as an industry uh, t-shirts now make up more than half of all the screen printing industry in in the world which I find kind of interesting because I think that most people, when they think of screen printing, only think of T-shirts because they don't realize most of the electronics that have graphics on them are also screen printed. But since we're talking about T-shirts, the very first T-shirt design that was ever screen printed was a promotional shirt for The Wizard of Oz. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Probably because it needed to be color. Uh, it does not say if it was color. It just says that it was the first promotional screen printed shirt. Was uh, it the first color movie? The original Wizard of Oz was not in color. I, or I guess I'm thinking of like when it was released colorized. Uh, I don't know when that was. Mm. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Tom, why don't you hit us with your dealer's corner? I bought more grills. And if anybody knows me, I I buy lots of grills. Specifically Weber grills. Uh, I like the old ones. I like the ones from the 90s. I mean, I'll take a new one if, if anybody's throwing one out. But I picked up... The problem is, is that when you look on Facebook Marketplace for something, and you click on something, it could be anything, in this case a grill, it then bombards you with all the grills in in the tri-state area that's new york connecticut new jersey i don't know and you just can't avoid it so i bought one for six 50 bucks 50 bucks and the thing was mint everything on it is good the grills are the grills good like the grill great the uh the burners the flavorizer bars those are like the little triangular tent things that go over the burners so that when your food drips doesn't drip right onto the burners and it spreads out the heat and i know a lot about these things now and I was like, great deal. Cool. Got that in the morning. And then um, I went and picked up another one like four hours later because Facebook refused to let leave me alone. And I bought another one. And it's a, I forget which one I got first. Maybe the stainless one was first. It was all stainless and it had the extra wing. Uh, so the old grills have the burner dials on the right side. And there's three of them front to back. Uh, the burners go horizontal. Is that the way I want to say it? Um, instead of, uh, you know, away from you, they're going across. So if you need to cook something lighter than something else, you have to put the lighter thing either in the front or the back, and then the heavy, the other thing in the in the front, the opposite. Um, 
So this has an extra wing off to the right, which most of them don't have. And then the other one is just, I think it's just a slightly newer blue one. I can't remember. Is it black? I don't remember. I have a lot of grills and it's a problem, but I'm going to probably sell both of these because I found a third deal that same day, which isn't going to happen for another couple weeks, but it is a much newer Weber that is bright. It's Junk Hunter Blue, actually. I didn't realize it until this moment. And it's like, it's like Junk Hunter Blue and chromey looking. It's like, you know, it's not chrome. I don't think it's actually chrome, but it's like, you know, very polished, uh, steel look um and it's really sharp looking it's a much newer one it's still it looks a lot like the ones you can find in the stores now and it's a hundred bucks and everything looks great on it it looks like it's still working the guy's moving in like three weeks and he's like actually i'm gonna hang on to it and use it for another three weeks and then you can have it before we move so that tells you how you know the condition it's in and he's thrown in a tank so the tank alone is like 45 dollar deposit at any place so 50 bucks 60 bucks 100 bucks and i'll sell probably two of them for whatever that adds up to 210 tom how many how many grills do you have well believe it or not not that many right now i have three and then i just bought two but i'm like i'll sell some the thing is i have a big green egg which is a ceramic cooker like smoker so that's different and then I have two Webers, one like a 19, early 90s redhead. It's a, it's a red porcelain thing, which I've wanted. Uh, it took me a long time to find that one. And I actually redid the, um, I did uh, new cedar slats on that. It had wood slats back then. And then the other one is a newer one, which looks a lot like this, uh, this blue one I'm getting. But when I bought it, I only paid $50 for it, but I didn't. My uncle picked it up and he didn't realize that when you lift the lid, it's blown out in the back. So the hinge doesn't catch and the lid will just fall all the way over and like take the grill with it. So it's still completely usable and there's a lot of good parts in it. But if I can get this newer one, I'll, I'll gut the, that one and, uh, and keep those parts because those parts wear out every several years. Is it difficult to, like you, you seem to be the grill master here. Is it difficult to tell, like, the difference between when, like, the older ones and the newer ones? No. No, they, there's, like, three main, like, I could give you a decade by looking at them. And you probably could, too, because they're very, like, it's very 90s, it's very 2000, and the newer ones, honestly, they look a little bit cheaper now. Um, But they're still a quality, quality product. Uh, They're built in such a way that they... They are made to be repaired. So the grill grate itself should be replaced whenever it needs to be replaced. The the three burners or however many burners you have, those are built to be replaced. Like you can go to Ace Hardware right now and buy every part for every Weber ever that ever existed. I find that really interesting since it seems like people are throwing those things away all the time. You know what I mean? It's crazy. My daughter worked at, when she worked at Ace Hardware, they were also a rep for Big Green Egg. And the grill I have that I cook on all the time at the shop is a really, really nice Weber grill that's plumbed for natural gas, which I have a natural gas tap at the back of my shop. And they delivered a Big Green Egg and the guy was like, well, I don't need this anymore. Can you haul it off for me? And gave them this (laughs) Weber grill that's in 
perfect condition. I mean, it was still even, it was clean. It wasn't, you know, it was like it didn't even have a buildup of gunk in it or anything. And so to help my kids out, I, I bought it from him, but he just gave it to them and like, was like, can you haul this off for me? And it was probably a two or three year old Weber girl. That's crazy. Uh, Pro tip. When you go to look at one of these Weber grills, uh, the brand is obviously important. They're the only ones that are made quite this well. When you open the lid and you see like paint flaking off of the inside of the lid, it's not paint. It's it's buildup. It's grease and soot or whatever. And you can take a razor blade to it and scrape it free. And it's it literally comes out shiny clean. I, I don't have a grill. You should get a grill. I, I don't have a place for a grill. What I love, I'll try and look it up, but I love that people on Instagram now send me pictures of their Weber finds. <laughs> and like they're getting them for free and for cheap. And it's, uh, there were two this week. Well, uh, I just, I got to look it up. I'm sorry. I can't remember who sent me it other than, um, other than Jeff from Total Boat. What's his Narwhal Labs? That's the one. Uh, he's been looking for one for a while. Cool. You have to piece that together. It's spreading. Everyone's following your lead, Tom. Well, as for me, uh, I had one uh, surprising deal, let's say. I had, uh, I wasn't really set on whether or not I was going to follow through, but there was an online auction happening Sunday. And not, not this past Sunday. This was a week and a half ago Sunday. And it was a live online auction and the short version is I won some things, and the pictures were very deceiving. So uh, the name of this deal is the Everything is Bigger auction. I went to pick up all this stuff, and many things were bigger than I thought they were. Uh, but one of the, some of the things that were not bigger, I managed to get a 5-inch lathe chuck with an MT2 taper shank. It's a 3-jaw chuck for 8 bucks. And then I got uh, these, there were, you know, those um, hand wheels that are on lathes, Tom, the, the, the little, some, yeah. sometimes they'll just be a wheel. Sometimes they'll have a little handle. Yeah. I collect them when I have them. Well, they've, they had a bunch and they ranged in size from three inches to about 12 inches. Like there was some big heavy duty ones. Wow. And they had them in bundles of either five or three. I... I now own 18 solid steel hand wheels. Just, uh, <laughs> and um, the, uh, the prices for the bundles were $24, $22, $27, and $26. Um, I should also point out that even though I was bidding online, and usually that's a bad scenario because so many people have access, I was really only bidding against five other guys. The same five numbers kept coming up bidding against me, it was only five people. And I'm like, wow, there's like nobody in this auction. So I got a lot of deals because it just wasn't anybody else bidding. Uh, then we came to the wire wheels. So it had this picture of wire wheels, and I always go through wire wheels. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is a good deal. Let me pick these up. I got a bunch of wire wheels for $6. But when I went to get them, the biggest wire wheel was 15 inches. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a 15-inch grinder that I could put that on. Then I had two 12-inch, a 10-inch, and a 9-inch. And I'm like, okay, there's not a single one of these is something I could use. 
But while I was there, I noticed where everything was piled up, there was something else. And I said, does that come with the grinder wheels, with the, with the wire wheels I bought? And they're like, well, it's in the picture. So yeah, that comes with it. So you know those uh, rubber wheels that look like a tire that you can slip a sanding belt on, and when this, the grinder starts to spin, it tightens up? Yeah. Uh... I don't know what they're called. They're like sanding wheels, right? But you can mm-hmm. just, it, it like the, the belt is loose unless it's spinning. If it's spinning, then it tightens up. Well, I know those things aren't cheap. I got two brand new old stock, one inch by 14 inch diameter wheels. Nice. These things are, they're massive. Like they look like they belong on like a baby tractor. So I know like a little one, like a six inch wheel, I, that's like 50, 60 bucks on the cheap side. So this one is, it's, it's gotta be a lot. I, I don't know how much it is. I haven't looked it up. Uh, I won, there was a lot that had three lathe knurling tools uh, which I hadn't seen this kind before, it had a, a knurler on each side. Like they were parallel. Like you put the piece that you were knurling in the middle and it was a knurler on each side. There was three of those. And I'm like, oh, the knurling. I love knurling. So I'm like, I got to get them. Did you buy them? I bought them. Uh, there was also what I believe is some kind of an indexer. It looks like it belongs on a tailstock, but I, I'm not 100% sure. There was a chuck key. Uh, there was a faceplate, and there was uh, some other miscellaneous lathe things that I could not identify. Uh, I got all that for thirty-two bucks, which I was like, "That's good. I like that." Wow. Then there was a Warner and Swayze box cutting tool with a one and a half inch shank, and while it sort of is misleading with the name, it doesn't actually cut a box. Um, it is. When you have a stock that's in a lathe, you run it through this tool and it's got like two wheels that brace the stock in the front and then it's got a cutter behind those wheels so you can take off like a huge chunk of material and because it's pressured, you can get this super smooth finish in one single pass. So you could take off like many thousands at, in one pass, but because it's almost like a movable steady rest with a cutter built in. And this one that I bought was another one of the bigger than I thought. I've seen tool holders. It looked like a tool holder to me. I get there, the thing is 25 pounds. <laughs> it is it is heavier than four babies, okay? This thing is massive. This is like an A-bomb kind of a kind of a tool. So were they taking all the pictures with like a tiny can of Coke for reference and no. you thought it was a regular size can? No, there was no Coke cans. There was no pennies. There was no frame of reference, which is why I wound up with so many things that were gigantic. So uh, that was 14 bucks. Uh, then my favorite thing out of the entire auction, which I didn't know existed, I saw what looked to me to be a Thor branded uh, retractable outlet. Like it looked like one of those things that you hung from the ceiling and you pulled it down when you needed to plug something in, but that's not what it was. It had a steel cable on it with a loop. And at first I didn't know what this was for until I got there and I saw a second one that they hadn't sold. It is for holding a tool 
that you want to suspend from the ceiling that you're going to use and then just let go. And then it just hovers there in the air until you need to grab it again. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I want that second one. I saw the guy that I'm like, I want that one too. He's like, that's we, they haven't sold that one yet. So they're going to have a second auction. But I got that. There was a guy bidding against me. I'm like, oh, no, dude, you don't understand. This is mine. You're not getting it. So he stopped bidding. I got it for 13 bucks. I was very, very happy with that. <laughs> uh, the paint is in not so good condition, but the function is fantastic. Uh, I picked up four Morse taper, Chuck, uh, Morse taper uh, attached Supreme and Jacobs Chucks. Uh, two, two are Morse taper three. They're massive. And then there was one Morse taper two and one that looked like it was homemade. So I'm not sure if it's Morse taper two or not, but... These are all massive. I think they're all three quarter inch chucks. Like they are just gigantic. Like they're Paul Bunyan sized chucks. So I got that for 16 bucks. Then there was um, arguably one of the, the best buys out of the entire thing. There was an oxygen acetylene setup. These were the large tanks with hoses, regulators, and a cutting torch tip. Uh, the tanks come up to my chest. That's how big they are. They are the supersized chest uh, sized tanks. 40 bucks. I have been looking at torches for the last four months. I have not seen these for less than $300. And the, the size tanks that I got, they're probably more like $500. So those were also bigger than expected. Uh, they had a reed pipe vise on a folding tri-stand. One of those plumber's vices that uh, you can, you know, pick up and move around when you're on a job. And Reed is a good brand. I got that for six bucks. And then we come to the biggest surprise out of the entire thing. You guys remember I talked about, I picked up a Walker Turner drill press from the guy that I bought the Delta drill press from with the pizza. Yep. So in the picture, I'm looking at it and it looks like the same thing. It looks like the exact same drill press but I can tell it's got a much bigger table on it. And I'm like, oh, nice. Somebody put an industrial table on this thing. Very cool. But when I got there, they had not put an industrial table on it. It was the industrial version of the same drill press, which means it was two and a half times the weight. This was like a 700 pound drill press. Uh, it is a Walker Turner 1100 industrial floor model drill press built in 1952 it's considered a 20 inch drill press with a frankenstein head it is three phase i got it for 17 dollars wow this is officially wow. the cheapest floor model drill press actually it's the cheapest drill press i've ever bought 17 dollars did it have a model number did you say it's an 1100 and I did not realize it at the time because the picture was so far away. It had a power feeder assembly that was partially disassembled. Wow. So you guys remember when I picked up that power feeder Walker Turner? Well, guess yeah. guess who now has a transfer pulley system to put on the other Walker Turner? Wow. Yeah. So I don't know how many, what was that, month or two ago? Three, maybe two months. Uh, How'd you haul that? I had to take it apart. I had to disassemble the entire Jeez. thing um, to get it in. There. And then the guy had to bring over his tractor to help me get the head off because that was stuck on. Uh, and then the two of us had to tip the base and the table together still on the column. Uh, but 
What I'd like to point out here is that when I bought that original one that was missing the uh, transfer pulley, we were all talking about how I was never going to find that. Like it was just never like that thing is gone forever. There's it's impossible to find those parts, and it took me two months to manifest it. Just out of thin, I I didn't even know it was there. I didn't see it. I did not know there was a power feet on there. I thought it was the other drill press. I thought it was the one that I'd bought from the pizza guy. So that was like a huge surprise. And I don't think that the power feeder on this one is operational because it had been taken apart. So I don't think I even have all the parts for it. So I'm going to remove the power feed parts and just put it back together and just sell it as a regular drill press without the power feed. So, so there was that. Now, here's, the, here's the, the down and dirty parts that I don't like about online auctions. Everything I told you today cost me 251 bucks. But then you got to add on an 18% buyer's premium, which is 45.18, and tax. So it ended up costing me $313.94. So hmm. I didn't care for that part, but everything was so inexpensive, it, it didn't really bother me. You know, it's like, you know, the, like, for instance, the $17 drill press cost me $20. It was just another three bucks. But that was it. That was my deal. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right, it's time for personal history. Tanda, you got personal history with screen printing? I have a, a kind of a limited personal history with, uh, with screen printing. And I really came to screen printing through having a laser. And so once I started doing laser engraving... Um, and just started looking for uses for my expensive laser after I bought it to do chip marking. And then after that kind of waned, um, I started looking at doing promotional items, which kind of led me to screen printing and pad printing and a bunch of other, you know, looking at them, not doing them. And then it finally took having customers that either changed substrates on me or changed what they wanted the mark to look like. So in one case, a customer I had been doing instrument panels for a long time that were anodized instrument panels, and I was just laser marking the anodized. And then they, their customer said, we want red and blue lettering. And when you laser mark, you just get white. It just bleaches the anodization, and that's your only choice. And so, and then not too much um, time difference between that, a customer was having me do instrument panels that were anodized and their customer switched to supplying the panels powder coat. And so then you can't, you know, just hit them with a laser and, and create a mark. And so I thought, well, I've been reading about it and thinking about it for a long time. And so oddly, you know, you would think that your introduction to screen printing would be doing a t-shirt or something simple. But the very first thing I ever screen printed was this detailed lettering on an instrument panel with epoxy ink. And so you had to, you, you burned your screen, you did your screen just like you would, you know, any other screen printing. But then I mixed up this epoxy based ink and I had a pot life of like 15 minutes to do all the panels before it started hardening in the screens, hardening in the pot on all of my equipment. And it was just this like all out panic. It took me probably... I'm going to say it probably took me like eight hours 
and lots of cleanup, cleaning, recleaning the panel, um, cleaning off the epoxy before it cured, uh, redoing the panels like multiple times. Um, so it was kind of this trial by fire graphics screen printing. And I've done it periodically since, but it seems like it's always this, uh, it's never been an easy thing. It's like screen printing electronics enclosures that are 36 inches by 12 inches by 24 inches. And so I have to basically build something to hold the, to hold the screen and align it with the side of an instrument, you know, of a large electronics enclosure Mm -hmm. and then screen print three little, you know, things on the side of it. And so, yeah, it's kind of been a, a a steep learning curve, but I've had a few people that have helped me out. Um, I'm really lucky. I have uh, a guy at our local makerspace that's a longtime screen printer as a profession, and he runs our screen printing lab at the makerspace. And he's been a wealth of information on just those, those little nuances, um, I was just listening to the Fools with Tools podcast on my drive from work, and they were talking about the difference between information and knowledge. And I was thinking about screen printing and before we came in to do the do our podcast and listening to theirs and thinking that's exactly what it is. As long as everything proceeds just according to plan, you can read about screen printing and just go do it. But if anything isn't working, if you're getting little feathering around the stencils or your ink is not behaving properly or you're holding your squeegee a little bit wrong you just don't know where to go from there and it takes that person with actual knowledge of what you're doing wrong to say oh here's here's what's happening and here's how to fix it and so that's kind of my my history with screen printing i have i don't know that i've ever screen printed a t-shirt i've always done graphic what would be called graphic screen printing oddly enough that's probably where it started you know the printing started with the graphic printing, and then this, the T-shirts came like that was like the last thing, right? Right. You know, and it's it's the most popular, but it's it's the most current. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I looked into like screen printing on round objects, on water bottles, and and things like that as just a a companion process to my laser engraving and stuff. Because quite often people would, I would laser engrave anodized or powder coated bottles for them and then they would say oh can you do our our same logo on these plastic bottles and it's like well no not what not with the laser (laughs) and so i i was often tempted and i looked at a couple of used um presses that would print on round round objects do you know tanda do they i've always been curious about that do they just rotate the object as it's printing is that how it works uh yeah you it rotates the object and moves the screen so if you imagine taking, you know, like a, like an object that would roll and laying a plank on it where you could roll the plank back and forth on the object. Like picture Uh. somebody like standing on a board and rolling back and forth on a log. Well, basically your screen rolls across the, the round object in the same fashion as like a board rolling across a log. Um, and then your squeegee sets stationary right over the midline of the rolling object and so you still um, press your paint through your screen, but your screen is moving and and sometimes it's actually used to roll the object. The, the pressure of the screen running across the object rolls the object. All these hand gestures were great for the listeners, but thank you to, to explaining it for me and Tom. Yeah, that's, that's why I tried to 
to develop a picture of, uh, of of someone like rolling back and forth on a, <laughs> on a round object. Yeah. For those of you that weren't listening close enough, Tanda just accurately described the entire process with her hands. Um, but uh, th- but you know it's not important. You know? Yeah, I I have a difficult time talking without my hands in general. No, it was good. When you started describing it, I closed my eyes to make sure that it made sense and it made sense. I thought you were falling asleep again, Tom. Well, that I mean. I don't want to. Come on, man. We, you weren't going to call me out anymore. I thought we talked about this. It's, I'm, I'm very sensitive to it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Tom Tom was not falling asleep, everybody. He was doing an experiment. My bad. <laughs> uh, so, Tom, what, what what's your personal experience with screen printing? About 20 minutes of podcasting. So so quite a bit then. Yeah. So you're pretty much you're pretty much ready to go. Yeah. I mean, I think we covered everything. Yeah. If if, if anyone asks, we'll point him your way. And after hearing. Tanda's uh, description of how how everything can just easily go so wrong. I'm not. I'm not sure I'm ever going to do it. But I mean, if you're if you're working with a plastisol ink on a T-shirt, I think I think you're much in a much better position. Don't don't backtrack. Don't. Than if you're trying to mix up epo- mix epoxies and and squeeze them through a screen. All right. All right. All right. Maybe I'll try. I have looked into it. I have seen a lot of videos on it just for like. Just to like get that first layer of knowledge so that if it ever happens, I already like have some of that to pull from and then I can dive in. And there are graphic inks that are much easier to work with than epoxy as well. That was just a customer spec that it was epoxy on powder coat. Um, I, I kind of looked into it a lot when I was looking to buy a vinyl cutter and I just bought a vinyl cutter like. I know they're not the same thing, but you can accomplish a lot of the same things with them, you know, like decals and things like that. Well, you can certainly, and you can also use your vinyl cutter to cut a stencil and then just stick it on a traditional screen print screen. And that's a... That I did also see, and that is why I got the vinyl cutter first, for sure. Yeah, it's an easier process than actually using an emulsion on a, you know, a photographic process for your screen. It's not quite as durable and as accurate, but if you're making 10 shirts... Yeah. Right. Which is probably why I haven't done it, because I'm like, I don't want 10 of anything. So, like, all that work goes in so that the process is repeatable, and I just have never wanted to repeat something. I've never just, I've just never had that right item. Oh, yeah. that, that the, With the graphic printing I've done on instrument panels and enclosures, it's it's the worst, because you still have to burn a screen. You still have to go through the whole process. Then on top of that, you have to build some kind of weird jig or setup to actually get the screen to come down in the right place over an instrument panel. Mm-hmm. And then I've done, I think the most I've ever done is four. And then you do four of these <laughs> instrument panels and, and you're done. And, and so it's kind of crazy to be using a process that lends itself to multiples to do four of something. Well, we all know that Tom only likes to do one. He likes to do one thing and then he, he moves on. That's, that's practice. Never do model. it again. Yeah. PJ, what's your? I know you grew up with your dad doing screen printing. What's your personal? So, I I never asked my father where he came up with the uh, the idea for his business, but uh, he started when I was very little. He, his business was called Coast to Coast Custom T-shirts, and he he sold it years and years ago. But I he would go down in the basement, and he would constantly be like refining it and working on things and. He had, my dad was a sheriff's officer, so he had a connection to police departments and fire companies. I think I've talked about this before, where fire companies will get a new piece of equipment 
and then they'll have other firehouses come and they'll have a wet down and they will hose down the truck for good luck so that nothing bad happens. And it's a big party and they sell t-shirts. And my dad came up with this idea for printing t-shirts at the wet down. What they were doing was previous to that, they were buying shirts and they were selling them there and then they would always have shirts left over. So it ended up costing them more money. So my dad's selling point was, I will make them there on the spot for you for X amount of dollars. And it ended up working out that it was cheaper than the fire company having to, to order them ahead of time. So my dad invented this t-shirt making station. And the whole thing was collapsible. It was made out of plywood and it had uh, a four color press it had four screens that were on this rotating metal frame and it had a part where you put the t-shirt on and then you would put all the colors on and then you went around uh no you went to the side and just laid the t-shirt on a conveyor belt and it would run it under two ceramic heaters that would melt all the plasticine ink and it would melt into the shirt because the ink is plastic and that's why the for if you get this kind of t-shirt the the shirt will will rip apart and be shredded before the ink will come out because it's plastic melted into material and then by the time it comes out the other end it's ready to go it's hot but it's it's printed and it's done like it's ready to wear and uh, we would have all these different bins of shirts we had all different sizes all different colors kid shirts we had little baby shirts that we would put on stuffed animals for kids that was the same size screen that you would use for printing on baseball caps we also mm -hmm. printed on those we printed on a lot of things we even had uh tan do you remember you telling the story about those foldable material frisbees that had the right the, had the yeah. weights going around we would print mm -hmm. on those like that's how i knew about them because we would print the the hat logo on those my dad had everything laid out to where every every single thing that we used fit in every square inch of the back of a Ford F-150. So all of the bins, the machine, everything fit exactly precisely. And so if you had something packed wrong, you had to take everything back out and then refit it in there. This is, this was sort of my apprenticeship into the packology degree that I got from Harvard years later. So this is where it all came from. So I never did a lot of screen printing with my dad like he did all the stuff i did it a little bit but it was very very tricky high hand-to-eye coordination um for someone that's not an adult i guess that's the way i could put it as a kid i had a lot of trouble putting the right amount of pressure um, but i learned a lot like just watching him i learned a lot like if you have a four color press using you know you're using four different screens they all need to be registered you know you have to all the colors have to line up or it's going to look bad mm -hmm. so one of the things that he did was on every single four color shirt he had little x's in all the corners and so he would print a test shirt and it would print the x's then you would move to the next screen and you would the screen would be loose so then you would line up, you could see the graphic on the screen and you would line it up with the X's that were already on the shirt and then tighten it down. And then you would put that color on and then you'd do the same thing with the other two screens. And then when, when you had everything registered, you clean off all the ink from the screens 
and then you just put tape over it. Right. That's all you do. Like it's you don't have to redo. It's nothing complicated. You just put tape over it, and it's ready to go. One of the things that I thought was really cool, which I don't know how many people are aware of, there is a you can buy ready-made screens that are pre-tensioned. But my dad did it so much, he used to make his own screens. And there's this little tool uh, that it just looks like, like a box, okay? It's a box that you would set on the screen and it had a meter on that. And the meter would tell you the tightness of the screen as you moved it around. So you would know like if the corner wasn't as tight as the middle, then it would not, the ink would not go through. It had to be, everything had to be super, super tight. And he started out with wooden screens, but then as he, I don't know if it was as he did it more or as the technology advanced, but he eventually moved to these aluminum frames, which you could, you could put the screens in and then tighten it with a wrench. Mm -hmm. Whereas before you had to tighten it by stapling it. Right, they had like the little roller on two sides like a little clamp clamp and roller kind of a thing that tensioned it. it well from what i remember it was like the corners had the the bolt parts like where you could actually get a ratchet on it so it was sort of like a 45 degree and then the bar going across you you put the end of the screen in it and then that entire bar would roll under itself mm -hmm. so it would it would roll it would like roll inwards and then that would tension that one side and then you would move and you'd tension the next side and you'd keep doing it until the tension was even all the way around um but i think if i remember my, my memory's a little hazy but i'm pretty sure he told me that that tool he said don't ever touch this tool this was i think he said it was like 300 dollars, right and this is like in the 80s you know so it's probably now it's probably like you know a thousand something like that but that, that was, for the most part, my experience. Like, I never really got into screen printing as an adult. Um, I have thought about doing it for myself. I thought about printing Junk Hunter t-shirts. I, I even have a design, a Junk Hunter t-shirt design, which is my the, the shape of my logo, which is pretty much just like a rectangle with a bunch of straight lines. But instead of the, just being lines, it's it's the entire size of the shirt. All of the lines are sentences or sayings that I like, like welcome to the junkosphere, you know, things like that. So I thought about doing it more than once, but I don't want to make a regular shirt. I would also want to um, have like on the shoulder. Um, it would probably not be possible to embroider it, but I thought about having patches made up and then sewing patches onto the shoulders that also have the logo uh, in a high quality patch. I don't know. I've thought about it. I take a poll every once in a while. Usually I get like five people and they're like, I buy one. And then that's like. Which which mean, which mean means one or two might. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to have like two yeah. sales. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go through all this trouble. Two guys are going to want it. You know, one guy wants a small. The other one wants like a 10X. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I'm not, <laughs> not going to do it. Yeah, well, and, and these days, there are so many online t-shirt places where you can just send in your design and order as many t-shirts as you want in whatever size you want, as you want, or even just like t places like Teespring. You can just create a shop, an online shop, and point it to Teespring. People can order shirts, and, and you don't even know. The money just drops in your account, and people get a shirt. So that makes it 
less desirable to screen print your own unless you just want to do the artisan thing and make them. That's very true. Um, however, you can't have them do anything additional, like the patch. Um, so that's that's a thing. And you don't always have control over the shirts that they're using. Sometimes they'll give you a choice, but a lot of times it's just one shirt, like, and that's it. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if you want an artisan and you want to pick a really nice shirt, do something extra, do wraparound prints or something odd, then then it makes it worthwhile. I mean, in all likelihood, I probably would not print them myself. I probably would have someone else print them. I would go to a company and have them shipped to me so that I could then sew on the patches. But I also am very aware because of my father of the margins for shirt sales. And when you use someone like a printable or, or whatever, the T-print or whatever mm-hmm. that's called, you, you get like $2. Like you, you don't get hardly anything. They, they make all the money. So that, that's another thing. Yeah, I did one. I did one a while back, and and a handful of people bought them. But I didn't, you know, I didn't do it to make money on shirts. It was like, oh, cool. I, I, if I make a buck or only lose a couple bucks, then you know, it's cool that people wanted shirts, and and I didn't end up having to pay fifteen a piece. I made a dollar, mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever it ended up working out. Right. Second turn, I think it's time for one of them old timey commercial energy loops and stuff. Hi, y'all. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. Have you got a broken MacBook or a phone that you've dropped in the toilet and it's just kaput, but you still want to look busy? Well, Johnson's Hardware now offers screen printing. Just bring in your broken screen and we'll print one of numerous designs on it that will look so realistic. People walking by will still think you're busy and hard at work. Some of our popular designs are Fusion 360, YouTube, Microsoft Excel, installing up dates and porn. Hey, we're not judging here. We're just providing you with quality screen printing so people will think you're still busy even if your MacBook has cracked and blown a goo. For the low, low price of only $17.35, you can get two screens. That's right, two screens. You'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tom, what skill goes well with screen printing? Oh, I'm going to say vinyl cutting because that's what we talked about, but I really want to say designed also, just so you can't say it. You got to pick one, Tom. You got to pick one. But being able to create a vector file, I'm going to go with vector file creation, if that's a thing. Being able to manipulate a vector file program, like Inkscape or illustrator or something like that i actually have a lot of trouble with inkscape uh it is so different from like fusion 360 which is the only other design software i know i I just i know it's supposed to be easier than that but it's just not like i just don't know how to manipulate shapes and lines on a 2d surface but you don't need to answer that for me right now because i'm just i'm happy being lost right now but once i get better with with that I'll be able to do a lot more stuff, including screen printing. But, you know, my laser and um, my CNC machine and things like that. So. All right. Tanda, what about you? I, I think this is very similar, but I'm going to say um, graphic prep or graphic um, graphic cleanup. Because I think with screen printing, so often you get designs that are just not 
suitable for the media. And you're having to do the, uh, you know, someone gives you this horrible um, graphic that's like a hundred DPI image that's been rescanned 40 times. And you basically have to totally recreate the image. And it's easier to do that and charge them for them for it than to try to explain to them what you need to make a high quality set of, of screens. And so I'm going to say graphic cleanup. That's definitely a thing. I can, I can confirm that. Well, as for me, I'm going to go with color matching. That is a vastly underappreciated skill, especially when it comes to screen printing, because a lot of times people are coming to you and they say, we want you to make a t-shirt that looks like this. And then you have to figure out what colors that thing is. And it's not easy. And if you don't know about color matching, there are thousands of colors. Thousands. And the thing is, they charge you, which I, I kind of get, but I also kind of resent, is that if you're in that business, you need to buy a, a RAL or a Pantone book mm-hmm. so that you can match Pantone colors. And it just... It, it, it always kind of grates, even though I get it, that it costs you a fortune to buy the names and numbers of a whole bunch of colors so that you can then order the right colors or match given Pantone or, or RAL colors. Pantone and um, PMS books, uh, these things are, you know, the old school phone books that were like, you know, 700 pages or like four inches thick though that's the size of the books you're getting with a listing of colors this is this is like i remember these things there was um it might have been pms um which i can't remember what that even stands for anymore uh it was like print print management systems or something like that but they had volumes of books Mm -hmm. so it wasn't just one book you had like about seven books with all different colors. And I think they would even, if I'm not mistaken, I think they were even like three ring binders where you would update the colors. They had new colors, like, geez. Um, but yeah, that's um, color color matching is, is a lost art skill, but there's still people that do it. Oh yeah, I'm sure all the time and in any kind of graphic arts. And that was kind of what pushed me toward, toward just instrument panels and, and graphics, simple graphics was the things like color separations and color matching were were less of a hassle or non-existent. And now for some nonsense. All right, so the three of us all have 3D printers, and um, we we've been trying to optimize since we all basically have the same printer. We're trying to we're trying to make some changes and. Uh, we figured we should warn you guys. Uh, the changes kind of, kind of got away from us, and uh, we we made a three D printer virus that uh, that that you may now have. Especially if you if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have it. Um, it uh, it's gone viral, just not in a good way. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, and um, the virus deals with uh, funny things, uh, random bugs, and and dicks. There's 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 no easy way to say it. Um, yeah, if your if your printer is exhibiting, in, in you know if it's if it's doing funny things or just you know random bugs, or you know printing decks, then it it could be that it's something that we 
started out as an optimization and it just it got out in the wild and it it kind of went awry. It mutated. Yeah, yeah. Tom, which which variant did you end up with? Oh, well, the uh, the funny things. It's it's a little creepy. Um, I don't think it's very funny at all. It, it just prints clowns, clown after clown after clown after clown, and uh, clowns freak me out. So, I mean, do you ha- how many bobos do you have at this point? Uh, Thirty-seven. Yeah, it, it it just won't stop. It's just it's just like yeah. you're gonna have to either pull the cord or you're gonna run out of filament. It's just gonna keep going. Well, what I what I am impressed with is there. It's thirty seven different poses. I mean, okay, maybe he's running. You know, I mean, but still, it's 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 a bunch of clowns. I mean, that's it's, it's not really that funny. I don't find it funny. Um, I ended up uh, I ended up getting the dicks. You know, I mean, it, I the first one was was Dick Van Dyke. I didn't recognize him at first because I haven't seen him in a TV show in quite some time. But hey, isn't that the guy from Airplane? Like, oh yeah, yeah. I, that's it. I like I like how you uh, how you were like you you sent the picture to Tom and I, and you're like, my printer just randomly started started printing a rabbit. And, and oh then yeah, like yeah. like four hours later, you're like, oh, it's it, it's not a rabbit. It's tricky, Dick. Yeah. 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 Dick Nixon, the old president that no one wants to talk about, but he's all over my 3D printer now, you know. Um, and there was there was a bunch of dicks I didn't even recognize. I'll be honest with you, so I'm not even going to talk about them. You know, no one likes to talk about strange dicks. So we're... I think that one kind of looked like Dick Cavett, but it's it's hard to tell, especially with the resolution being set down low. Well, the yeah. fact that he's blue doesn't help. You know, I only had blue filament. So none of these guys. I mean, it's like I'm printing yeah. like the Blue Man Group. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, no, mine was just random <sighs> bugs. I mean, you know, it was just odd because you would just hear the printer printing in the middle of the night, and you're like, "Did I start a print? Well, maybe I did." You know, you're kind of half asleep, and then you're like, "I didn't. I didn't start printing anything." And then you come in the next day, and you've got you've got ladybugs, you've got water bugs. It just like some of them two inches, some of them tiny little quarter inch bugs, totally random bugs printed on top of bugs. It was just, it was insane and a little bit scary because, you know, who knows what could happen if, if your printer just randomly starts printing in the middle of the night. That dragonfly was pretty cool though, you gotta admit. The dragonfly was very cool. And the crazy thing is, I thought it was so cool. I tried to print it four times after that. I don't think my printer can actually print it, but the virus printed it. It was insane. Uh, well, anyway, the the point we're trying to make here, guys, is if any of these symptoms happen to you, you you basically need to set your printer on fire because there's no way to get rid of it. We don't we don't have a fix. Uh, this is, this is just a PSA, just to warn you guys. And um, we're we're very sorry, but um, we're we really can't do anything. We we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, and if you're using ABS, um, you know, be sure to ventilate property when when it's on fire. Yes, yes, Va- vaccinate vaccinate your property. Yeah, don't burn ABS on your printer or your printer full of ABS without uh, without opening a door. And and be sure to use extra peanut butter. Yeah, around the base, just to keep it from spreading. 
I mean the peanut, the fire, not the peanut butter. The peanut butter will spread with the heat, but you don't want the fire to spread, so make sure to apply the peanut butter. Or you could just use Nutella. That's fireproof. You can use Nutella, yeah. <laughs> that was totally ridiculous. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything you want to hit us with? I came across this thing on Instagram. Uh, the the channel or whatever is called Phantom Chess. And they have made, as far as I can tell, a uh, it's a Kickstarter. They have made a chessboard chess set that has basically underneath it a CNC with a magnet to move the pieces. And they just announced today that they are integrating with some of the more popular chess playing websites like chess.com and Lee Chess, where you could basically start a game on your computer and it will play out in front of you and you can move the pieces like, and it will, oh, it's so cool. I think that's been around for a while. I mean, I, I can remember like maybe in junior high school, someone came out with a with kind of this pantograph magnet underneath a chess set that could move pieces around. So it'd be interesting to see really? if I'm imagining that or if that concept has really been around for quite a while. Tanda, that was Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> now, this was long before Jumanji. That's really cool. This is this is a Kickstarter that's got pretty good steam, but I, I am just not willing to risk $400. Like, it's worth $400. It's actually worth like seven or $800, but the Kickstarter is 400 but... I can't risk that much money on something on a toy, but it's cool. I might buy one for 800 one day if it comes out. It's basically, it's the price of like a normal chessboard. Okay, we get it, Tom. We get it. We know those things are expensive. Uh, you, you could just write a program for your, for your 3D printer that just prints the entire chess set on the bed of the 3D printer. And then when someone makes a move, you throw that one away and it prints the new updated, uh, you know, it tells you to just remove a piece, and you you peel that one off and throw it away, and it prints the piece in a new spot. I like it. The long game. What about you, Tanda? What do you got for short and sweet? I would say if you're thinking about screen printing, check into you know what's available out there now. It, it's pretty easy to buy pre-stretched screens, and they're fairly economical. And uh, so it's pretty quick and easy to get into. It's not as much as you would think to just have a go at uh, at trying it. And I'm trying to think of a YouTube channel. Maybe I'll let PJ go and I'll, I'll look it up. Um, but there are a few out there that are kind of just a, just a fun watch. That, you know, the same information you would get from anybody else. But I'm thinking of one in particular that is just kind of entertaining to watch. Well, uh, I wanted to shout out a few people that are involved with screen printing. Uh, the first person that came to mind was Britt from Britt Builds. She, I know, built her own little system and printed her own shirts. So I watched her do that on Instagram. And then I was thinking about when uh, Laura Kampf had all those makers over her place and Brett from Skull and Spade 13 designed and printed the shirts for their meetup when they had the, uh, I don't know how many, it was like the 12 makers meetup or something like that. And they all made something together and they had those like uh, Godzilla shirts from that, uh, that whole experience. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, and then we've got, um, of course... Uh, Joel Crawford over at the Missing Digit Woodshop, he always makes the the maker shirts every year with everybody's logos on them. And sort of taking a page out of his book, um, Luke and Priscilla over at P.L. Smith are also doing 
a May for Makers t-shirt. So if you participated in the May for Makers, like, uh, not contest, but like if you did like the 31 days where every day you did something, uh, you qualified to be on their shirt. And I'm one of those people. I, I did the, the 31 days or the 31 posts. So um, that should be coming out soon-ish. I don't know what the exact date is, but uh, those are all screen printing makers. And uh, since we are a maker podcast, I felt, you know, they deserved a little attention, you know, just a little, little, little pump up from like the, the six people that listen to this podcast. Hi, mom. I, <laughs> hi, hi, Tom's sister. Hi, Tom's sister. I, I looked up uh, what it was in the, in the YouTube channel I was thinking of, which is pretty much dedicated to screen printing is called Sk- Cat Spit Productions. Oh, that doesn't sound sanitary at all. Yeah, so you can screen print cat spit, apparently. But uh, it, it, I found it, you know, kind of informative in a variety of different things to print on and little tips and techniques. But I'd also like to shout out our local makerspace where we have a full screen printing lab that's really nice. So I realize that only pertains to local folks, but Fuse Makerspace is uh, is a great makerspace if you're anywhere in Albuquerque, New Mexico, or the vicinity. Well, I mean, Tanda, if you could get those locals to listen to our podcast, we'd pretty much like double our listenership. You know? Oh, we've got we've got quite a few people mention it to me, so they're out there. They're out there listening. Put, start pushing that Patreon a little bit more. You know, maybe we get like another one person. We can actually like you know afford snacks before we eat you know or, or before Ooh, we record or would be nice yeah, some 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 podcast snacks you know anyway that's just a thought oh yeah no I, I live in new mexico we can we can barely afford to pay attention so thank you for listening to this episode of maker skills if you should need more skill information you can find us on instagram at maker.skills you can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Welcome to the simple solution. Tanda, I understand you're having a problem that you need the the expert advice of Tom and myself to help you with. Yeah, it's the first time I've done it, so it would be nice to just have some some variables and some input. But uh, I just took the rear brakes off of my truck, and uh, yeah, I've got some some parts to go back with. But I thought if you've ever done it or have any input or even have read about it, it'd be interesting to hear your input. Well, I'm I'm certainly not a mechanic. Uh, I'm not even a YouTube mechanic, but I'm pretty sure you need to put those back. It's not optional. I mean, I've got front, no. I've got front brakes and front wheels. Yeah, front brakes are great. You need those too, but I'm pretty sure you need both. Yeah, but front brakes only work if you're going forward. If you're going backwards, you need the rear brakes. Oh, so like if I put skis on the back instead of putting the wheels back on, I'm good to go. But if I spin around backwards, I could I could be hosed. Oh yeah, because I'll have no I'll have no backwards brakes.
you're you're going right over the ridge into the ravine. Even if there's no ravines there, it, the one will just appear. Oh no, there are ravines here. I'll probably end up. I, so I want to avoid that. I, so I definitely want to have some some back breaks. Now, now you got to make sure when you buy them, when you get the replacement, you have to make sure that you're buying rear brakes and not front brakes. Because if you put front brakes in the rear end, it's not going to work. Oh, then I'll have two sets of front brakes. I'll probably throw myself through the windshield if I stop going forward, and I won't be able to stop going backwards. Is this yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you got it. That's why there's seatbelts. Yeah. I always wondered why there were seatbelts. It's because of people putting four front brakes. That's one of the many reasons. Yes, one of the many. So where where are you in the process, Tanda? Well, now, now these are called drum brakes, and I'm not sure I'm not sure why they're not musical at all. The, those sound fun. But that's what that says. That's what it says on the box, and so I don't know if it like stops drums, or it stops the sound of drums, or. Okay, did you go to your local musical supply store to get the correct drums? Yeah, I went to a used music store because when I looked it up online, you know, someone said, you're going to need drum breaks. And I thought, drums? I got to go to like a place that has drums. And so I went to this used music store and I got it. I got them used. I mean, I hope that's not a problem. I don't, I don't understand the concept of drum breaks. I mean, I'm pretty sure you can't stop the beat. <sighs> well, I mean, it, that's true if they're Native American drums, Tom. If they're not, then, then you could definitely stop it. Um, it's, I it's don't been... know. They could be. I mean, we have a large Native American population, and these were used. And I don't have any idea of their lineage. If you don't know if those are Native American drums or not, you're you may not be able to to stop the beat. That's oh, that. Tom geez. might be correct. Yeah, yeah. It's what what's the local tribe down there? Uh, a lot of Navajo and Hopi. Yeah. Okay, so you need to go out to the reservation and see if they can identify the drums. That's that's the only way you're gonna because if you don't know, I mean, you're basically just driving. You, you could you don't know what's gonna happen. You could at any time the music could just start and not stop. Oh man! And these came with, these came with pads too, and I don't know if that's just to muffle the sound or what. But do I need to take those with me, or can I just take the drums proper? No, the knee pads the knee pads are so that you don't hurt your knees while you're putting the the drum brakes on. Oh, those are knee pads. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense because yeah, they came with they came with a pair for each side, yeah. so one for each one for each knee, and then uh, uh, that that makes a lot of sense. And then they they probably leave. They they said to, that I had to worry about asbestos and stuff, so that's probably I don't want that soaking into my knees. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's bad. That that's what causes the uh, the nephritis. Right. Well, I did clean them. I got some. They they had cleaner um there they had drum cleaner and so i got some of that some some brake drum cleaner and i wanted them to be pretty so i I don't know anything about the drum cleaner tom do you know what what she's supposed to use you probably need to re-oil them if uh if you cleaned them okay yeah oh i yeah there's some fluid yeah there's brake fluid i should probably pour some of that in there right on the rotor yeah yeah yep okay Okay, yeah. I think I saw that in a YouTube video once. Yeah, pour it in there. And that's that makes sense. It's called brake fluid, so it probably makes the brakes more fluid. I, I do know that once you open up that brake fluid container, it, it it automatically like 
it begins to like oxidize or something like that stuff doesn't stay good like once you open it you got to use whatever you use and then the rest of it you got to throw it out that that's um it's no longer good something something in there goes bad oh okay well maybe i'll use it for something else it's it's really shiny maybe i'll just uh i'll just smear it on my paint or something to kind of shine it up that i'll just I'll, like rub it on the hood or something well, I mean, you could always use it on um, on Roxy the shop dog. I mean, if her coat is a little dry, you know, you can give her a little moisturizer, get her all slickered up, and, you know, she'd be, uh, make her shiny. Well, that, that could work, except uh, that, will she then not have any brakes? Or, or will it make it harder to pull her? Dogs don't have brakes, Tanda. Yeah, I don't know. You shouldn't be changing brakes if you don't know that. Yeah, I, you might want to take this truck to a garage. I've I've never changed Roxy's brakes in the whole time I've had her. Is that dangerous? Sounds like it. Sidebar, Tom, we just told her yeah. the dog did not have brakes, and she repeated that she'd never changed the brakes. I'm I'm not sure she's. Did she drink some of that brake fluid? Probably. That's usually yeah. I mean. <laughs> <coughs> I'm, no, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. And, and and I don't know what you were thinking about telling me to drink that brake fluid, but it's it's horrible. It's awful. I I mean I'd rather I'd rather drink whiskey and Kool-Aid. Tanda, we said do not drink the brake fluid. Oh man. You might need to drink some milk and uh, eat some crackers to soak that stuff up and uh, get it out of your system. Yeah, I I better I better go. All right, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna let you That's go. All probably right. for the best. Good good, good luck. Uh, go see the the mechanic and and maybe a doctor. But fix the truck first. Yeah, that too. Was there a solution? I'm not sure. <laughs>